Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. It's interesting. Reality shows have been massively popular, haven't they? With television audiences for at least a decade and probably more. We probably always have had reality shows, but man, they just somebody figured something out and it's all over it, uh, television now. And they feed the need in us to watch others and experience strangers really live, uh, watch their lives and enjoy them vicariously to some degree. To me, they seem to be getting out of control and, and at times just border on voyeurism and creepy entertainment, to be honest with you. But we do still have this hunger for reality because we all know that much of what happens around us is illusion. People only want us to see what they want us to see. And it turns out uh, even reality shows aren't based on reality anymore. They're controlling perception to feed our need for conspiracy and just plain that shock value that they want us to have. I don't think Americans are getting too tired of those shows, though, since there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. You know, what, I, what I've read is that the next, this coming up in the new television season is actually multiplied. There's going to be a lot more of these reality shows. And I must admit, personally, I'm drawn to a few. I love the, the Alaska shows. There's just something about living that with them. And so I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying I want to point out the fact that we all have this need to watch things, to be there, to, to experience reality. And so I really want to talk about that today. Because, see, as Christians, we're called to be in the world, aren't we? I mean, we, we didn't, when we got saved, we, weren't, we didn't immediately disappear and go to heaven. No, he left us here. And we know when we read the words of Jesus, that was his intent, was to leave us here to be salt and light, to live the kingdom of God among those people, fulfilling that video we just watched. But called to be in the world, but not of it. And therein lies the challenge. Jesus prayed regarding this in his whole prayer in John 17, and you can see that in verse 14, that his prayer was, Lord, let him, let him embrace the world, let him be here, but let them not be influenced by it. Let them be that changing agent with their life. And so we live here, but we live with divine purpose, knowing that our reward of ultimate fulfillment is waiting for us in heaven. So in other words, here on earth, we're not going to get that, that feeling of complete fulfillment. You can't. You know, it's like when you're away off to college or it's when you're away from your family or that you've moved, like, like I did, a thousand miles away from my family. As much as you enjoy where you're living, it's never quite home. And that's exactly the same way it is for us. We enjoy what God has given us here and the wonderful little material things that we can enjoy, knowing that they're not going to last forever. But there's a yearning in each one of us to be home, to be with him, to experience the great reward that is heaven. And if that is not burning in you, I say, yet it will. Because as a believer, the closer we get as we age to knowing that's coming, there's a greater yearning inside. I can't wait to be home with my family with the kingdom of God, all those wonderful patriarchs, and, and to be with those who have been called out of darkness into light. That's all waiting for us. It's waiting for us really based on our choice of who we will serve, Jesus Christ or the world, 
and what our reward will be for our faithfulness to his call on our lives. We do know that there's an aspect of that. Jesus spoke of that, that what we do with our life is important. Yes, there's salvation, but what we do with the time, with the talent, with the grace, with the measure of faith that each one of us are given, we will be called account to that. So we know that's going on. So today, I want to give you a dose of reality. I want to talk about reality, and I want to talk about biblical reality. And that's really the only reality that we should be focused on. I mean, not in a legalistic way, but I'm just saying it, it, ultimately that reality of who we are in Christ and what's going on around us should always prevail. It should always be prevalent when we think in terms of what we do every day, how we get up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, when we're interacting with our friends, when we're doing everything, when we're learning, when we're going to college, when we're doing our business. It should be this, this ever-present sense of who we are and why we're doing what we're doing. Again, which is a very powerful perspective, just waiting to influence our everyday lives. And that's what I want to do. That's my goal today, is to to push you forward a little bit further into understanding that, because, boy, the reality, when we talk about reality shows, that's part of what goes on there. It's a fantasy. It's us escaping our own reality to enjoy it vicariously with someone else. When I'm sitting there, man, I can feel the chill go down my spine when, when they're in Alaska. And I like that. I don't like what's going on in that weather out there right now. So, man, I'm telling you, put me in Alaska right now. We enjoy that. It appeals to something in us. We can do a find and replace. We can can take more time to think about who we we really are and what we're doing and what we're called to. And, And I really believe there's a reward. I really believe there's something that you can take away today that's going to impact you. So let's look at some things. Number one, we've got to understand this and you hear it from this pulpit all the time. If you're new, you're, 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 you're hearing it, you know. But I just want to let everyone know. I, yeah, absolutely. I speak of this all the time because I think it's incredibly important. And that is that the world is in active, and I say active, rebellion against God. Always is. John says, look, if you're a friend of the world, you're not a friend of God. You can't be. You can't serve the world. You can't serve the world and and God. You can't be a friend of it. You can't be immersed in it. There there comes this conflict of kingdoms. The priorities. If you you try to befriend the world before too long, you find that the values that exist in that world will not stand, will not. they, 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 They don't work together. They can't exist together. Jesus pointed this out over and over again. But the world is actively in a a rebellion against God. It's not God in rebellion. So it's not just that the world exists outside of God. No, no, it it is aware of the existence of God, even though they try to tell us that he doesn't exist or that if he did exist, he doesn't really care or that if he does exist, he's, he's named Buddha or Muhammad or something else. I want you to look at Psalm chapter two to clarify this point. A wonderful psalm, a very powerful psalm, a prophetic psalm. Check this out. Why do the nations conspire? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. That's an act of obedience, a disobedience, isn't it? That's to say, we know what your shackles are. What do you suppose those are? Oh, we'll look at that. 
The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. So it doesn't bother God at all. I mean, God is just saying, you're doing your best, but. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Isn't that interesting? That God's response to their rebellion was not destruction like he did with Noah's flood. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, you know, cause whole nations or continents to sink into the ocean. God's, God's response to the rebellion of the earth was to do what? Send Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Because he came to save the world, and the Bible tells us, in, in right there in John, it says he didn't come to condemn the world, but it was a bit of a spanking to the world because he knew that they resisted him, and this was God's response, to send his Savior. Verse 7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. This is the Father speaking to the Son. You are my, to Jesus, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Now what we learn in Bible study is we have what is called the foundational message, what, what is the, the literal truth here, but there's also a prophetic ringing out in other words this was to the son to win the nations back on behalf of all god's creation but yet there is something that's given to us as well in other words we have an inheritance and we're called to be a part of god redeeming this earth as well he says ask me and i'll make the nations your inheritance the ends of the earth your possession and you will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery and this is what jesus did with his death on the cross he defeated and destroyed the works of satan on the earth his 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 uh his right or his um, rebellion against the father the earth was given to him by adam and eve but then it was wrenched back out of his hands by the work of jesus christ God's response to the earth's rebellion. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with, tre with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment and blessed are all who take refuge in him. What's interesting is we have the gospel here <laughs> painted in Old Testament figurative language. It's there. It's all clearly laid out for us. And so what we see, what, we're, what is such a unique perspective is that we're told when we get the gospel, we get that. We see Christ was concealed here. Now he's revealed. We see that God is, is, is that's how he's answered the rebellion of the earth. But what I wanted to point out here in this particular point is that how the, the, the writer of Psalms, probably David here, who says, why do the nations conspire in the people's plot in vain? He was seeing something pro prophetic, not only during that time, but in our times, that the nations of the earth continue to conspire against the work of God and God's people. Folks, we are in a battle and we know that. As a pastor, I find it important. I was never in the military, although I was around Fort Bragg and military soldiers for over 22 years. That had a way of really affecting me and understanding a militaristic type approach to things. And then understanding, as Paul said, look, we're called to be soldiers and that we should be on duty with weapons clean and ready and loaded every single day, always ready. 
And because we live in this time that is an act of rebellion, that we live in this time where the enemy is like a roaring lion looking for whom he might desire, uh, devour, that as Christians, if we forget that we live in this time of active rebellion, that we can be drawn into the thinking of this world. We can be drawn into this false peace. We can be drawn into this idea that what is going on around us is just getting better and that and, and, and the whole idea. And that's why I loved that video because I think when we forget history, when we forget what, what I'm teaching here today, that we can all begin to say, well, not in our generation. There's going to be something new. We're going to pull off the shelf that old, nasty philosophy of man and serve it up again with a little more sugar, with a different label on it. But it's still the same old poison that will destroy mankind, that will destroy men's hearts, that will draw them away from Christ. And if you don't think that behind these vain philosophies, behind these political idealisms, behind this old idea of what we see generating in our culture, it is, it's, it's a bait and switch, it's smoke and mirrors, but it's the same old rascally demon, liar from the pit of hell, Satan himself. Christian, we've got to pull back the, the, the curtain. And we've got to remember this. The nations rage against the Son and His anointed one, the church. They rage against the Son, but man, do they ever rage against the church. Because why? Because Jesus said, now, uh, now you go in my name. So, yes, Jesus, of course, takes all the heat, and we're going to learn a bit, bit more about what took place there. But folks, as the church, whew, we are in the target does it not make sense that they're going to try to shut us down? Does it not make sense that they try to quiet us? Does it not make sense that they try to break it up, to accuse it, to, to, to stain it? When in reality, it is. We are. Look around you. We are God's answer. We are the ones who Jesus said, now go and make disciples of all nations. Now go and preach the gospels, gospel to all tribes and tongues and nations. You go and speak in my name. You go lay hands on the sick and see, see him recover. You go out and cast out demons. You go out and pray over the sick and, and, and see the miraculous things. You go and occupy in my name. But folks, it's a battle. As we go through this, God only laughs. He says, I've installed Christ as Lord in my response. And it cannot be overturned. It cannot be changed. Jesus walked in and said, you're fired. You're done. I now rule. My father's given it and put it, placed everything under my feet. Now it's just a matter of the church going and kicking out the squatters. That's what we're talking about here. The earth becomes the inheritance of the Lord and his people. God is actively resisting those who are in disobedience. And that's something we need to understand that when it comes to our lives, that God, it, it, the Bible says that God will bless the plans of the righteous. But when our plans are in direct violation of the kingdom of God or working against him, God is going to resist our plans. He's going to resist them. He's not going to bring favor or blessing upon it. And it doesn't matter how many people bless it. It doesn't matter how many things you, you try to bless and, and try to call upon it. It doesn't matter how much money you throw on it. It doesn't matter how much you advertise it or, or dress it up. It will not prevail. Remember that. And God shows his great love to us by getting in our way. 
You know, somebody was talking about grace recently, and I want to fix something. Because people think that grace is just God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And it's a wonderful um, definition. But there is equally God not doing for us what he knows will hurt us. (laughs) That's grace, too. That's grace, too. And what happens is I think Christians, when they first, and this is, I've seen this so many times, after walking with the Lord for so many years, I mean, we all get attracted to grace because we're like, oh, grace, wonderful. God is awesome. Because I thought it was all about no, 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 no. I actually find out it's about yes, 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 too. And then God is going to do this for me. But then if we don't understand understand that in the process, he's trying to grow us, mature us, so that we make decisions, you know, by his grace, his grace is sometimes just as a father just standing back and saying, now, look, I've taught you, now I need you to do it. And so by us thinking that we've got this greasy grace, we can actually start Christians enabling other Christians to keep doing things that are hurting them because we don't want them to make them feel badly. We don't want to, we, we, we just say, well, since grace is God, help, God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves, we then kind of step into that role and think that we can start doing things for other people because they can't do it for themselves. Are you following me on this? I mean, because this is $100 an hour uh, therapy here. <laughs> you get this, you're going to save yourself and those you love. And those you love. Because sometimes no is the absolute best thing you can tell, tell somebody because it puts them right back in the arms of what grace really does. And that's change us, transform us, push us back into the arms of our Savior who says, look, where, you know, and I think Meredith was talking about it, or, or, or Liddy, I think Liddy was talking about both of them were, but it's just the idea that we got to surrender. I love what Liddy said about self-control. She said, self-control is just not giving me power to do what I want. Self-control is me being able to <laughs> yield everything to him, and that any control comes as a result of him through me, and I know it. It's that wonderful scripture. That wonderful scripture, God giving me power to obey, causing me to do what? Will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what grace really ought to do. All right, that was a little mini-sermon in the big one. All right, let's move on. So God is actively resisting those. Blessed are those who take refuge in him from the wrath that comes upon acts of disobedience, comes upon these worldly ways, comes upon those who walk in friendship to the world. But for the believer, it's not being cut off. For the believer, it's not God alienating us or or rejecting us, not at all. It's God as a good daddy saying, look, what you're doing there is not helpful, it's not good. You don't realize it, but you're actually colluding, you're walking in collusion with the enemy. And so he wants to point that out. So first, folks, when it comes to walking in reality, we've got to understand that the world is an act of rebellion with God, and if we join with it, whether in our lifestyle, and our thinking, our philosophies, <clears throat> it's not going to go well for us. We're not going to enjoy the kind of favor and blessing and open door and, and straight path that I talked about last week. Number two, juxtaposed to this rebellion is the truth that the church is victorious. Look at Colossians chapter 2 in some selected verses here. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is God. 
And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you've been bought, brought to fullness. Now, that's a curious word, but what he's basically saying is in Christ, folks, we can walk in a full measure of maturity and blessing and favor and not feel like we're the tail but the head and feeling like that, that I've got everything I need to be able to be successful in this life. He says, it's in Christ. He's the head over every power and authority. This is response to the, 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 my first point. The world, is an active rebellion, the world is an active rebellion against God, but Jesus has defeated him, and he is the head over every power and authority, and guess what he did with that authority, that exosia, with that dunamis, the power and the authority. What did he do with it? He gave it. Thank you. Somebody's getting ready to say that. He gave it to you. He gave it to you and me. He says, now go, I give you exosia. I give you my power. You don't have to be uh, pressed back. You do not have to feel like you're losing this battle, even though at times we feel like we are. <laughs> what we find is God has always reserved something for a victorious day. And for those who hang around, get to experience it. You know, I, I'm, I'm terrible with, with football games. Terrible. My kids lovingly mock me about it. Get to the half, first quarter, third quarter, and I'm just like, I'm done. They look like they're done. And so I give up hope. <laughs> and here I am supposed to be the preacher of perpetual hope. <laughs> and they're just looking at me like, Dad, come on, man. The game ain't, game ain't over, you know? And boy, is that so true when it comes to the kingdom of God. Just when we think we're losing... God shows up and does something so amazingly incredible. I don't know what you think about the Patriots. Don't hiss or throw things. But the truth is, that Super Bowl was pretty daggone awesome. Because here we thought it was over, and I thought it was over. I was sitting there with a buddy of mine. I said, man, it's over. He's going, I mean, I know it's over, man. Let's just go get some more wings and be done with this thing. <laughs> it's over. But I thought, you know, when it was, when, as I was working that through and thinking about it, I just thought, man, I need, I need to tighten it up. Because hope in the kingdom of God is never done. We are never out of the run. We are never out of the fight. And God often is that 1159-59 God. Oh, is there any chance he could be a 1059-59 God? From time to time he is, but most often we find, you know, it's a good testing of us. It's, you know, I think God just lovingly does that. But the truth is the church is victorious Every single time, we just don't always see it because we're, we didn't hang around. We don't always see it because we're not sure what we're looking for. But it is you and I, always victorious. Look at Colossians 2, 14 and 15. He forgave us all our sin. I love the way he just says that. He forgave us all our sin. Just a blanket statement. Because it's true, theologically. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, that's the justification part, right? The act of the judge saying, forgiven. What stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now check out verse 15 now. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now when we look at the story, I don't see any of that, do you? I see mom and a couple of good friends and some disciples weeping like babies. 
I see soldiers taunting the dying Savior of the world. I see clouds building up in the, on the sky and thinking, this is the worst day of earth's history. They killed the Son of God. They murdered him. Every one of us would just say, yeah, bummer day. But folks, what was really happening were the angels were rejoicing. What was really happening was God's going, his wrath, the clouds was his wrath building up to just say, you're going down, Satan. Gotcha. You made the biggest mistake of all of my creation. You played right into my hands because my son came to be a sacrifice. You killed him. And therefore, now all of mankind, not only do I win back all of those who put their hope and faith in Christ in the work that was taking place as the one lamb, Savior for all, but I get the son back too, only now he's glorified. Double loser. Double smackdown. And so here Colossians is telling us, that he, he disarmed them. Don't you love that? The angel's walking up and saying, hey, Satan, uh, we need the certificate back. What certificate? The ownership of the earth. The one that Adam gave you? Give it. Disarmed him. And by the, by the way, you can't harm God's people anymore. You're done. You're done. And then, now I'm not saying all, I, I mean, I just love the language here. It made a public spectacle. I don't know, man. I, I can't imagine angels laughing, but if I follow what's going on here, it's almost like they're going, check this guy out. He read, check out this fallen angel, one who used to be among us, the one who used to lead us as the anointed cherub. Look what he has done. His folly has come full circle. And he, was a, he, he, he fell from heaven. He used to be in an anointed spot. And now he's played right into the Father's hands. And now his destruction is full. It's done. So, folks, this is, this is the God we serve. This is the reality. And there is no, and, and so what we see in the world and what we see preached, what we hear in schools, what we hear people talking about, what we hear and see on television shows and what we see books in their magazines, what we see going on in the world is not the reality. It's the illusion. But the truth is that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. And for every single believer who put their hope and faith in Him can rebuke and tie and bind every work of darkness wherever we go. That's the reality. The disease can, can never, is, is not the end of your life. That sin has absolutely no power. That nothing that is, was born in darkness, that it came up out of that pit to deceive us, to break us down, to separate us from our Father, is done. That's the reality. That's the reality, church. And then finally, how do we make his victory our reality? Because I see you. Some of you think that I'm just a, a, a carny at a show and you're walking by and I'm trying to stir you up because you're smart. I understand that. I get it. Yeah, Pastor David, but it, <laughs> my bills are still waiting. Yeah, Pastor David, I, I'm still waiting for the tests to come back. Yeah, Pastor David, I still got a struggling marriage. I still have kids in rebellion. I still have fill in the blank, right? I'm, I'm no dummy. I'm not up here just trying to be the carny and, 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 and draw you to something. So let's talk about that. 
Let's finish talking about that. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. If you look, here, I'm going to read it. He says, put to death. Actually, no, let's back up. You actually didn't have this in your notes. But what he says at the beginning is he says, set your hearts on things. How do we respond to such a good, to such a wonderful reality? Colossians 3 tells you exactly what to do. This should be a chapter you have memorized. One that we, as a young couple, Andrew and I, memorized very early. You need to memorize this chapter right now. Put it on your list. I'm going to check up on you. He says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I don't set my heart where Christ is crucified. I don't see him still on that cross. No, absolutely not. I see him raised from the dead. I see him victorious in heaven. I see him looking down with a stern look, and I see him looking at me going, get it. I see him as my coach, like when I used to play football, and I came up, and, and we came off the field, and I walked up to him, and, and, and it was important for him. He was going to communicate to me the, the, the feeling of what I was going to do for the next hour and a half. It was important for him to communicate the passion of what was going to happen. And I look into the, the eyes of Jesus. That's why it's so important that I set my heart and my mind on him. Because I don't see a defeated, wounded, wimpy, limped, you know, savior. I see a savior who has defeated the enemy. I see a victorious Jesus Christ. I see the one who is full of power. I see the one who's on his charger, his steed, ready to come, ready to wrap this whole thing up. And he's saying, look, I'm coming. But in the meantime, I need you to be advancing my purpose, my cause. I've given everything you need to live this life in a godly way. I've given it to you all. But Lord, I don't, I don't always see it. He says, don't worry about it. It'll be there. Folks, that is such the deception. That's why the reality is so much more different. We expect God to come and, and deliver through UPS or FedEx, you know, a box full of courage. And it's honor. Oh, wow, now I can really live. No, 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 it comes through faith. It comes with me acting first, and then the reality comes in behind it. Do you get that? I hope you do, because that is the truth. It is absolutely the truth. He says, set your hearts on things above. What that means is your passion. Okay, so let me go a little deeper on that. What are you passionate about? We're all impassioned about everything. I mean, we, we love doing something. We like to fish, we like to hunt. I got a good buddy who's down in Argentina right now hunting and he wrote me and you know what is what, what's going on in argentina right now it's winter that's where i want to be baby <laughs> i can get on a plane and go to winter cool because they're on the you know anyway you know what's going on but anyway we've got passion we got all these wonderful things we love doing and it, all of it is right and all of it is good but we need to surrender all those passions and let god use those passions for open doors for his glory for his kingdom God wants to use that. Being passionate is a wonderful thing, even if it's all those things, but it cannot replace God. Hence last week's message on idolatry. Cannot take the place of God. Set your mind. So your passions need to be on Him. Then your mind needs to be on Him. Set your mind on things above. Thinking of what? The reality. This is the challenge, my friends. Christians, this is the challenge, which is why it is so hard to walk in this reality, because it's a spiritual reality. 
even though it is, it is, is more true than anything you see with your physical eyes, it still requires faith, it still requires you setting your heart and your mind on things above. It takes effort, daily effort, because we are so drawn into the illusion, which is, the, isn't it crazy? I mean, isn't it a, I mean, I know you're thinking that I'm crazy, but I'm reading your Bible here, that what that which is more real is the thing you can't see, and the thing that is not real at all is the thing you see every day. What is that? Except what it's real. Some of us have been with dying people, loved ones when they get ready to move from this reality. And their hands go up, and their eyes start to brighten. Eddie Lyles used to sit back there. She just passed away about a month ago. And, man, she was living in an envelope of the kingdom there in her last couple of weeks. She was so, she was getting close to it. She was moving from the illusion to reality, and I watched her do it. And you can't walk away from that just saying, man, Lord, help me stay there. Help me stay there. Because it makes all that we experience in this world that much less, you know, impacting in the sense of just anchoring ourselves in the love of God. Anchoring ourselves in the reality as opposed to the illusion. When we're not anchored in the things of God, we're not setting our hearts above and our minds above, then we have no anchor. We just float where this world takes us. Through the storms, through the eddies, which just pull us back and just keep going in circles. Setting our minds. Check this out. Well, the next point is, so we need to set our hearts on things, and then he goes on in Colossians 3, he says, put to death your earthly nature identify and this is this is my interpretation of that is identify what in your life is flesh and kick it to the curb just just know man that's that doesn't come from faith no that's that doesn't make me feel good <laughs> not in the end identify those things that's that is active living in christ my friends okay that's why going to church staying in worship why we worship the whole series. That is why when we walk in spiritual things, then that which is natural and that which is taking from us, which is robbing us of our joy and our peace, becomes there front center because we are walking in the reality more than we are in the illusion. And the grace of God is right there to help us. The Holy Spirit is right there to speak to us. And so there is Paul telling the Colossians there to say, look, Put your heart and your mind, get your passion and your thoughts up in heaven, and what's going to naturally come to the surface are those things that you're doing in your life that are robbing you, and he says to just put them to death. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a strong word, but really in the end, it just means take energy to get it out of your life. Don't ignore it. Take some time. Take some energy. Whatever it takes to diminish the impact of that activity. Cut it off. Limit your access. Walk and memorize scripture that will help you to be able to walk in the grace of God. It's ready and active to flow through us. Liddy shared that verse. Self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It comes to those who are what? Asking for it. When we are legitimately wanting God 
to, for, to help us walk in it. So put to death, I'm going to read Colossians 5 through 9. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he gets very specific. It's important. And I think especially in the, during our times right now, sexual immorality, impurity, lust. And you'd say, wow, doesn't lust cover all through? Isn't it interesting that he was very specific? And if you, you look at the, the words in the Greek, porneia, where we get pornography, is that sexual immorality. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which, I talk, and not, which is idolatry. Remember I taught on that last week? They're, they're one and the same. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Notice how he kind of created on a, t- on a tier. He said kind of the first layer of things we need to get out of our, of our life are the sexual immorality, the impurity, the greed, the lust, the things that you know, are going to be the most obvious type of life-impacting sins. But now the ones that are harder to get rid of are in the next layer. Check this out. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger. Mmm. That gets me every time. Going after something to me. Rage. Malice. Malice, of course, is taking that anger and saying, I'm going to quietly punish those, whether they're the ones who are deserving of my anger or anybody else who even reminds me of my anger. And I'm going to maliciously work my revenge. Slander. Speaking against people, saying wrong things to put out my, uh, to make them pay even though they had nothing to do with it. Filthy language from our lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So Paul's just saying, look, if you want to walk in the reality and experience the kingdom of God, then you can't live in the world in one foot in it. And, and, and he, so he's making it pretty clear. He says, look, i got to tell you that this is where it plays out. If these things are operating in your life, he's not condemning us. He's not cutting off. What he's basically saying is you've got to identify it. When you set your heart, your passions on heaven, then those passions, whether they be sexual, whether they be through greed and idolatry, and whether it be you know, that we're work, wearing ourselves out to get rich or, or even you know, being lazy and not doing what God has called us to do, all of those things, when we put our hearts on credit, they begin to kind of come to the surface. And by the grace of God, he's ready to forgive them through our repentance and confession. That's how it works. That's how it works. He's so ready to forgive, so ready to cleanse us, so ready to put us back on our feet again. Because what are we doing? We're living in the reality. And reality begins with me (laughs) being real with myself and then fitting myself in the reality of this kingdom so he goes on and says, look, so when you get rid of this stuff, don't just clean house. He says, you're going to take off some dirty clothes. And he says, now put on some good ones. Clothe yourselves in Christ's character. Replace your old thinking. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. So when we take away that stuff, don't just be a nothing, but clothe, put this on because it's better. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one one another, even if if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together 
in perfect unity. Folks, that keeps us in the reality. It absolutely does. When we're patient with one another. When we realize. And how do we get there? I find it very unique that he doesn't start with the clothing. He starts off with what we need to take off. Because the truth is, when we spend more time worrying about what everybody else is wearing, we're not focusing on ourselves. And so when we begin to treat people, when we see people's sin, when we see their anger, maybe we see their lifestyle, that's, we shouldn't judge them because, as James tells us, look, you do the same things. No point in doing that. You just need to pray. Focus on getting your heart and your mind on Christ, responding to people with love and compassion and kindness because you never know when they'll look to you and just say, can you help me? Then he goes on. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Folks, that's the reality. You want to know how to make this thing work? Then follow Paul's advice. <laughs> Search and replace. What are those things in your life that you know you're walking in? Replace them with godly character. Get rid of it. Replace it with joy. Where you, where you, where you find yourself being negative, ask God to come and give you faith. If you're fearful, ask God to come and give you faith. If you're walking in lust, ask God to replace that passion with a heart for him and a replacement something that you can pour your energy, which is what, what it is, pour it in your energy and getting away from this whole sexual identity thing. That's, that's just really messed up, which is why we are where we are. I can't get into that. But the world promises so many things, my friends, but only in Christ can we find true fulfillment and lasting joy as we choose to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling, right? We will experience victory over the world and those who are aligned against our Savior. So when we read Psalm 2, the first thing that comes up in our heart is like, well, man, I hope I'm on the right side in all of this. Because if he's moving throughout the earth in wrath, I hope I'm on the right side. Well, if you're in Jesus Christ, you absolutely are. But then there is the micro work. There is the work of the Holy Spirit who says, even though you belong to him, there are go there's going to be areas of your life that he still wants to refine so that you can find yourself not being hindered, not being slogging behind, but to be on the front lines of his kingdom advancing. And it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. Folks, that's the reality. This is the reality. This is exactly where Christians, we need to spend the majority of our time talking about, singing about, encouraging one another about. It's where we should be. And the wonderful thing is it's all wrapped up in grace and love and we're all doing this together. No one's condemning the other one. The truth is we pull back the curtain and we all have skeletons in our closet. We all have stuff in our life that needs changing, transforming, whether we're willing to admit it or not. It's there. And when we live in that reality, then... Not only can we experience peace and joy, but then, folks, we can go out and open up the can of whoop and do what we're called to do. You see, why doesn't the church get more things done? Because we're living in an alternate reality. We get duped into focusing 
on the environment. I keep saying, you know, <laughs> global warming, it's going to get a lot hotter, folks. All right, nothing you're going to do about that. And so you better be thinking about what's real. Instead of trying to spend all our time, our energy, working against God and his plans for this planet, his plans for every single human being on this planet, we better get focused because that's the reality. Let's stand up this morning.